So we're in a series on the fruit of the Spirit. And um, in this series, what we're going to do is last week, uh, actually up to last week, what we were doing is we were progressing through Galatians 5, uh, 22, and we were talking about the fruit of the Spirit and breaking it down and talking about what is the fruit and what is its result as it presses through our lives. Last week, I hit time out on that, and instead of progressing through and obsessing over each fruit of the Spirit, I wanted, I wanted to step out of, of that order for just a minute to remind ourselves of the context that the fruit of the Spirit exists in and what is their benefit for us as, as people. And so today, what I want to do is I want to double-click on that And we're going to open it up even a little bit further. And we're going to look at the church in Galatia. And we're going to see what is it that Paul was speaking to in that moment. And we're going to look at the collision between what Paul is telling them to do and what happened just a few short years earlier in Bethlehem when Jesus took on human flesh. And what's the relationship between this Advent and Christmas season? And what does it mean to walk according to life in the Spirit? And then bearing that fruit in our lives. Amen? See, sometimes I'll cue it up for you by saying amen like it's a question. And then amen just means so be it. And you're like, yeah, that's right. Because you said that. And I agree that you said that. So we're going to connect the seasons between one another. John Piper actually sent out an email last night that really impacted me. Not to me personally. It wasn't like we're like that. It's, it's more like I'm on a mailing list. I don't think it even had my name at the top. But um, That's not the one I meant to do. Here we go. The infinite became an infant. The author climbed back, climbed into his book. The living God took our humble humanity. The word became flesh. Say Christmas a thousand ways and you've only scratched the surface. I'll read it one more time. And maybe if you want it, just take a picture of it. But the infinite became an infant. The author climbed into his book. The living God took our humble humanity. The word became flesh. Say Christmas a thousand ways and you've only scratched the surface. That family is what we celebrate in this Advent season is how far Jesus came to show us who he is and what he looks like and how we can experience him in the flesh. Now here's what I want to do today is I want to jump into Matthew chapter 1, 18 through 23 and look at the biblical account that uh, Pastor Piper was drawing from to write, to write that, to inspire our faith. And so if you could stand with me once again, we're going to read this passage together. Guys in the back, if you could progress these slides for me, that'd be, that'd be helpful. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with a child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
This is God's word to us, Father, in the name of Jesus. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this recording, this account of what happened for our benefit and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All this happened. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. It would be, it would be an amazing thing for, for Jesus to appear on the scene in the, in the manner that he did with angels announcing it, with, with, uh, with angels appearing to the shepherds in the fields and, and singing this song and sending them with the Magi coming a few years later, bringing the gifts to Jesus, the virgin birth, all of these things would have been pretty extraordinary in their own right. But it's not something that just happened and and is recorded as a past event or as something that happened in a moment. But Jesus doing this was in line with, it was within, in the flow of the whole narrative of scripture that started back in Genesis chapter three. When, when God promised Adam and Eve that one was gonna come from their line who would make everything right. And so it's in, it's in the line of scripture that this occurs. And, and that draws great encouragement to me because it, it's, it's kind of like if somebody, if somebody's, if you, if you've played basketball at all and somebody makes a shot and you're like, you're like, that was, that was an incredible shot, but you know, it was luck. You're like, whatever. That's, you, you just don't even, you didn't earn that. That, any, you, that was luck. But if somebody calls their shot and does it, it's a whole nother level of skill. Right? And so what we have here is not that Jesus did something amazing. It's that he called the shot thousands of years earlier. And he called the shot through prophecy after prophecy after prophecy after prophecy after prophecy after people running from him and and being won back to him and running from him and being won back to him and running from him and being brought back to him. He's like, this is what I'm going to do and this is how I'm going to do it. Keep your eyes open. It's about to go down. And so that's what Jesus did for us in Nazareth. That's what Jesus did for us at Bethlehem is he made the shot that he had called for thousands of years. And so he shows up on the scene and nobody recognizes him for who he really is. And that's part of the beauty of it. That's part of the, the glory of it and that they, they overlook it. And so Jesus, Jesus comes as Emmanuel, God with us. And this idea of God being with us is really important because he came to us in our sinful condition, in our fleshly condition, doing things the way that we want to and experiencing the results of it. Has anybody ever done what they wanted to and then realized the result of it and then you, you regretted even wanting what you wanted in the first place? You're like, like cake or something. You're like, I want a whole cake. And, and so you're like, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to eat this thing. And then you eat it. And then you're like, oh, I'm in pain. And I shouldn't have done that. And then, but it's like, why did I even want that in the first place? It's not even, why did I do that? It's like, I can't even imagine what I was thinking when I thought I wanted that. Right? And so, so that's kind of where the people are. They're in their flesh. They're in their sin and their flesh. Their sin is producing the things that flesh and sin produce. It's enmity. It's disagreement. It's disunity. It's hatred. It's unforgiveness. It's sorrow. It's pain. It's shame. It's guilt. It's hatred among one another. It's genocide being produced in this generation. Infanticide being produced in this generation. Empires rising up and oppressing other people and pulling them down and stealing their resources and making them slaves to one another. That's what's happening. And that's just all the result, all the fruit of our flesh. 
And so while we're sitting here creating and producing the fruit of our flesh, God's like, I want to come so that I make a completely different kind of existence possible for these people. So God comes near to us so that we can live this completely other life. This, this completely different way of being human is how one theologian says it. Because what we were doing and how we were doing it was only sufficient to produce what we were getting. Have you ever heard it said that what you're doing right now is, exact, is the exact right recipe to get the results that you're getting? It's a business idea. And so people are like, why am I not a multimillionaire? Because you're not doing millionaire things. There's like a combination that exists today that if we, if we managed our resources a certain way, it could produce much money on the back end. But I really want nachos today. And that's where my money's going to go. That same money put into something else could produce more money in the, fu- in, in, in the future. Or it could give me nachos right now. And that's why I'm not a millionaire. That's the shortest version of the story. Anyway, that and I'm a pastor. And there are a lot of reasons that, that you know, poor kids in Northern Virginia. And, but that's a whole nother conversation. And um, if you have questions about any of that, you can take the uh, Dave Ramsey Financial Peace class when it comes out, I think, in January or February. I'm clearly not equipped to help any of you. So with that particular line of thought. But uh, so Jesus comes, I don't even know what I was talking about, but Jesus comes and he offers us a completely different way of doing life by being near us. And, and so he, he, in one of his missionary journeys, Paul, now, now I fast forwarded, Jesus came as Emmanuel, God with us, and he lived a perfect life, died, rose from the dead, promising the salvation of anybody who would put their faith and their trust in him instead of their own ability to save themselves. That's the basic idea. So, so Paul, this, 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 uh, this man, he gets this message. He, re, he, he swallows, he swallows all of it. He eats it all up. He makes it his life. He makes it his lifestyle. He makes it his ambition, his, his life purpose to share this good news with everyone else. And, and so he goes and on one of his missionary journeys in Galatia, he meets these people in this modern day Turkey. He meets these people and he tells them, Hey, there's a completely different way of life available to you. And it's found in Jesus Christ. And they'd never heard this message before and they take it in and they swallow it and they take it and they're like, Paul, tell us how we should do this. How do we live this life? And, and he, he tells them, he's like, he, you receive it by faith. You don't receive it by, by living a good enough life to be accepted by God. But, but I serve a God who came to us while we were a mess to make us good, to make us holy, to make us pure. So there, there's no amount of worship or giving or goodness or things that you can accomplish to make yourself acceptable. I'm coming to you to make you acceptable. And the Galatians receive this message and their hearts come alive and salvation comes to them. Their community's transformed. And then as the, as the church grows, people come in and now you're getting people who used to worship Jesus according to the Jewish tradition. And they're saying, wait a second, are you talking about Yahweh? Are you talking about Jehovah? Are you talking about our God? And they're like, yeah, it's the same God. But he came as Jesus and now we're welcomed into the family. And they're like, wait a second, buddy. You can't worship God like that. That's not how we've worshiped him before. That's 
not how we worship him. You worship him by doing these things. You need to get circumcised and you need to, to eat at these festivals and you can't eat bacon. I knew something would get to you. I was surprised it was bacon of the ones I listed, but bacon. And so, so, we, so, we got, so you can't eat bacon. And, and they're like, what? And they're like, they're mad. And then there's this fight that happens on the inside. And finally they're like, oh, you know what? You do have something to say. It is kind of crazy that God would come down to us and make us righteous and change our lives so that we could relate to him. Maybe just to be safe, we should do these things so that we can become pleasing to God. And so they start living according to the law. And they start taking on the burden of living according to the law, which is impossible. And so now this church in Galatia that was free in Jesus is now feeling burden and weight and they're no longer, they're no longer free in, inside of him. Now I want to pause for just a second and say, you know, I'm not talking about, uh, there, there is this thing that happens where it's like, well, that's not the way we've always done it. Now here's this new way and we need to accept this new way. Sometimes that's all right. Like, like we didn't always wear jeans and in a, in a sweatshirt when, or a, a sweater when we preached. In fact, even here in Sterling, there was a time where I would wear a suit. Just six years ago when we started the congregation, I would wear a suit on stage every Sunday morning. And then when I wore jeans, it was like, whoa, well, I don't know. This is like, whew, you're going too far. Like, like Jesus might leave the room, <laughs> right? That's not the way we've done it. That's not the way it's been. And so I'm, Right, and so there are some things that are that are they change and they're good. And I hope that when we look back on everything, that that wearing jeans in church doesn't result in a casualness with his with his presence and with his purpose and with his word, and that produces all sorts of other sin. That's what I hope doesn't. I hope we look back at this and we're like, oh, that's when we got comfortable with Jesus and we were free to be led by the Spirit, not when we got comfortable in ourselves and we felt free to live according to our flesh. That's I hope that's how it's written in in you know, a hundred years from now, hey, there was this revolution that happened in the United States where it got more casual in their dress, but men more passionate about Jesus, right? So that's, it could go one way or the other. You're like, well, now I don't have to dress up. Now I can just go sleep around. No, 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 no. That's the wrong trajectory. And you could say amen to that one. Um, and so, um, so, uh, so what we have is we, we've got that tearing, but then there, there are tearings, you know, those tensions that are small, kind of micro, micro scale, small, unimportant things. And then you've got the more important things. And if somebody comes and they start saying, well, you know, we don't really need the book of Romans because that makes me uncomfortable. Or, or let's take out the miracles because I don't believe in that miracles actually happen. Well, there's no birth of Jesus if you don't believe in miracles. And so we don't actually have Jesus and then we don't actually have salvation and then we don't enjoy any of the benefits of the love that God has for us because we've completely cut that off from ourselves. And so we, we just, there, there are levels of, of difficulty and we need to be a discerning people to understand, is this something that's central that's being challenged or is this something that's periphery and doesn't matter that's being challenged? And, and I can adapt to that. So if we, if we changed our Christmas Eve service, for example, and we, we had a different animals or no animals, right? Um, would, would we freak out and be like, well, that's not our tradition. Or do we go, well, our tradition is worshiping Jesus. That's just an expression of how we worship Jesus. 
right? It's the difference between what's written in stone and what's written in sand. And so, so, let, so let's, keep, let's keep moving. And, and so God came to us so that we could live this other kind of life, this better life, this, this life that he had actually designed for us to live. Now, here's the cool thing that I didn't talk about last week, but because God created us, he built into us certain capacities that are going to be fulfilled whether or not we're living according to his plan. It's just gonna be fulfilled, it's gonna be lived out according to the fullness of that design or it's gonna be lived out in a limited version of the design. So he built into us a capacity for worship. So we're gonna to worship something or someone because it's built into us. It ought to be him, and then it, it, it is most fulfilled in him. But sometimes we, we sacrifice uh, way down, and we worship the Redskins or something like that instead, which leads to perpetual depression. Um, <laughs> just perpetual depression. And then, right, and so you can, like, worship God who never lets you down or the Redskins who always lets you down. No? Too much? Too true? too much truth on a Sunday morning? The Cowboys fans can't do any better. So like they will be let down just with higher hopes and dropped further. And so, so don't even worry about which team you're rooting for. It's going to let you down. Um, even if they win the championship, they can't save your soul. So there's that. <laughs> There's that little thing like forgiveness of sins and eternal life and <laughs> fulfillment. Uh, <laughs> what are we talking about? It's not football. So we have, we, 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 oh, we were created to worship and we can either worship the true and living God or we create false gods for ourselves. We were built to follow. So we're either going to follow God or we're going to follow something else. My wife pointed out to me this week, she's like, man, we are, people are obsessed with following people on social media. And we realize that it's because you have the capacity built in to follow you because he built you to follow him. And so you're going to follow something or someone. And so it might just be Cardi B or something ridiculous on Instagram because... because it's built into you to follow. It's built into you to follow. Who are you going to follow is the question. And what are you going to live according to is the question. And he had an intent for you in his design in the very beginning. And you've got to decide, am I going to live according to my flesh and the things I can create for myself or according to the spirit, which is according to what he intended for me? So they came in and they had this problem. And so, so they started wrestling. And, and what we see here is that they, they ran into a problem that we face even today. Is that on the one hand, they, they felt like, well, I'm free in Jesus. But, but uh, so, so I can do anything I want and I can do it how I want. And that produces what, what Dietrich Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. Now, cheap grace, is, it means that you make a mockery of grace by not living uh, the, the life that's made possible because of grace. You make a mockery of it by saying, well, thanks, because you're going to forgive me, because you're forgiving, I'm going to go drag my life through the mud because you're just going to forgive me in the end anyway. Right? And I've been guilty of that. You know, it's like, it's like, it's like, oh, this person is so forgiving. So I'll stand them up and I'll go to this other thing because they're just going to forgive me. 
It got kind of quiet. I hope you're not judging me and you're thinking about yourselves, but if you gotta judge me, that's cool too. So, so, <laughs> but we've all done things similar to that. On the other side, what can happen is we can, we can adopt legalism and we're like, now I'm gonna do all of these things and I'm gonna live and I'm gonna have all these rules around the things that I do so that I can ensure that I can add enough things to my faith so that I can ensure that I'm loved by God. And both are actions of the flesh just in different directions. See, I, I, in, in college, I had this, this thing about me. I was really legalistic about myself. And I didn't have it for other people, but I was so legalistic because I saw other people living lives that I saw to be lives of sin, going out to the clubs and, and getting drunk and just carousing, right? Just living like outrageously sinful. Life. Like it, we would all agree. I mean, the, the news would agree. I mean, if we had a, a you know, I'm, I don't want to use too many artists today, but if we brought a rapper in here, I'd be like, this is what these people are doing. He'd be like, oh, that's crazy. And so, so in, and I'm like, I'm not going to be one of those people. So I'm going to be the, the, a better person. And so I started living this legalistic life, not realizing that my legalism was just as much sin as theirs was. So I was just as sinful. I was just expressing it differently. I was living just as much in the flesh, but I was just expressing it differently. They're both excuses to live according to the flesh and what, what we're being invited into, what Paul is telling them is, hey, it's not according to your flesh. It's not according, it's not going and doing and, and, and chasing down every fleshly pleasure that you want to have. And it's not, about, it's not about cutting off every fleshly pleasure that you desire to have, but it's, it's about living life according to the Spirit. It's about living life according to the freedom that we have. And it's in, the, it's in this place that's really scary to live in. And you're like, God, you're going to have to lead me in this. To maybe not have a rule. Like I've got general rules about what kind of movie rating I'll, I'll, I'll watch. Like, right? But then there's this, there's this freedom because there are some movies that are within my rules that are outside of a life in the spirit. Right? There's some, there's some movies where the rating system would let some stuff in that I know isn't pleasing to, to, it doesn't please God for me to give myself to it because of the effect that it's going to have on my soul and, and what it's saying, the story that it's telling me is maybe not the story that I need to internalize and memorize and give my time and my money to. Right? And so this life in the spirit is, is scary because you're not, you're not, you don't have all these rules to box you in and to, to, to check off and sometimes to keep you safe. And then you don't have the freedom just to go do whatever you want to do, but you're supposed to be following the God who created you into the life that he intends for you to be living. And so we find ourselves in, we find ourselves in this, in this kind of tension place, but it's in this tension place of living life according to the spirit. It's this life in the spirit where we follow him, that we are most who he's designed us to be. And we produce most what he's designed us to produce. The option that's in front of us is to, to live a life according to what we're able to produce or to live the life that God is able to produce something through us. And I've seen what I can produce family. And I want to see what God can produce through me. I could talk about what I've seen you produce and what I would love to see God produce in you. This life of freedom is this collision place where we realize that God is with us 
Emmanuel, in line with the whole flow of Scripture. Now the Holy Spirit dwells here with us to lead us and guide us into truth, to convict us of sinfulness, and to convict us of righteousness, and to lead us in life so that we can lead one another in life. Something I realized as I was studying this week is that, uh, and this was a correction for me, was that I've always read these things as things that I'm supposed to do. I make it a legalistic thing, right? So not only that, but I, I realized maybe for the first time, it's, it's always been there, but, but this is a letter that's written not just to a single person. It's a letter that's written to a people. And what, what Paul is imagining here and what Jesus came to do was not to just have a person who's living according to life in the Spirit, but that there would be a people who are living according to a life in the Spirit. And the difference is massive. I can only affect so much change in and of myself. But if we as a people start living according to life in the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Self gentleness, self-control. As we start to live these things out with one another, now we can become a force. I was trying to think of a good illustration, and the best that Pastor Jermaine and I could come up with was uh, just a, a breeze, like just a just a little breathe of a breath of wind. What did, a breath of wind? Just a puff, or like hurricane sustained forced winds. And then, you know, the, the analogy is tough because you're like, we're going to destroy the community with kindness. <laughs> Maximum sustained hurricane force winds of love. <laughs> you, you know, so it's like, it's like a weird analogy. You know, like we sing these songs. And we're like, we're drowning in grace. It's like, uh, yay. Uh, this is good. It, it hurts me. I, <laughs> I'm confused. I kind of want to cry. I, God's here. I'm you're right. So, so, but, but the difference between one person moving along a path and, a, and an army of people moving along a path, and it's not just a, an invitation for Grace Covenant in Sterling, but it's an invitation for his whole church to live life according to the Spirit. Now, what happens if, if he lights this fire in congregation after congregation after congregation after congregation? What if every, con- what if every believer in every congregation and every small group and every, in every body of Christ, every local expression of the body of Christ were to begin to live life according to the Spirit? It transforms the world. It transforms the world, family. And so he's like, no, no, don't live life according to your own rules and regulations. Let the Holy Spirit lead you and guide you. And as you position yourself in God, as you live free from the law, like we're free from sin, but we're also even, even like we're free from the law also. So live according to the Spirit and allow the Spirit of God to produce these good character qualities through you so that his presence can be known, so that other people can experience the benefit of our Emmanuel, our God who is with us. I, um, I want to challenge us all to take the irony out of our Christmas celebration. The irony is this, that God came to be Emmanuel with us, and as Emmanuel is with us, it produces fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. 
But in our celebration of Jesus, we live, as Pastor Eddie said, like 95% obligation. We live out of obligation for like 95% out of our Christmas worship. Got to go to this party and this party, this party. I have to buy this person a gift. I've got to be generous to this person and I've got to give them something that would bless them. And I've got to give, I've got to show kindness to them by being generous or I've got to, I've got to give good food so people like it, you know? And you're like, man, like that's our Christmas celebration. How ironic, tragically ironic that we're most stressed out in our worship of the one who came to set us free that in our worship of the one who came to set us free, we're the most bound up. Now, there are good things to do and there are beneficial things to do. Come to church, do it. Yes, please. That's important. The gathering together of the saints is important. Satan is terrified of the gathered church. That's why he works so hard to prevent it. That's why governments are terrified of it. Because of the, the unity that it creates when we gather together. Governments in, in principalities, they're terrified of the gathered church. Because God forbid the character of Christ begin to show itself in a people. God forbid that we submit ourselves to godly teaching and to worshiping together and to inspiring one another and lifting one another up and, and cheering one another on in our times of difficulty and inspiring each other in our doubts and calling one another on into life after life after life and seeing one another set free from the things that entangle us. The enemy's terrified of us, so I come to church not because I have to or because it's a law, but because I'm better for it. And we are better for it. You don't know what it's like when you're not here, but we're missing something. You just don't realize it because you're not here to see how it's different. That's the whole point of that Christmas movie. What's the one where he's like, I don't want to be there. And he's like, you don't know. But it's a wonderful life. You don't know what's missing when you're not there because when you're not there, you miss it. It's not real deep. It's just pretty simple, but it's the reality of the fact, and that's why we gather together. So there's some things that we should be doing as a church, and there's some things that we should be doing as believers, and there's some things that we should be doing. But man, but, but it's not obligatory. It's not a weight. It's not a burden. It's something that God inspires and gives life to and delivers us in and through. And so I want you to take the irony out of your Christmas celebration this year. By living life according to the Spirit, not living life according to the stress of obligation. I want to pray for us uh, that in this season, we could begin to experience kind of the otherly life that God came as Emmanuel for us to be able to experience. That Paul's warning them, hey, you receive this thing by faith. It's not going to be finished out in your flesh. You receive this thing by grace and it's fulfilled by faith.